Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello. My name is Liz Crow, And I'm Jesse Spur. Welcome to another episode of Five Things. And today we're going to talk about diversity, equity and inclusion. And we're welcoming Thomas Skinnerton, who is actually the Senior Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Advisor here at Metro North. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to have you. We'd like to get your origin story. I think you're our second non-health I'll professional on the, on the podcast. So we'd love to hear a little bit about how you've got a seat at the table now. Yeah, thank you. So I've almost 12 months in with Metro North. And for those who know me say that it's basically a culmination of my careers. But I think it probably all stems back to my dad and the fact that he uh, did 32 years of Queensland Health, managed the laundry in the Gympie Hospital. And <laughs> it gets me all the time. Uh, and to the day he passed away, couldn't read or write. But mm. the fact that they included him and gave him the opportunity to do the job probably set the standard for me to go forward. Mm. And so that obviously means a lot to you personally as well as professionally. Very much so. Yeah. I think it highlights the importance and the intergenerational impact of inclusion as well. I have to agree, you know, people, parents, family members, older members of the community set the standard uh, and we're here to set it up for the future generations and um, that's what diversity, equity, inclusion is all about, setting up the workforce for Metro North Health for the future. And so today we, we really kind of want to start off by saying that no one at this table involved in this podcast you know, identifies with any of the communities and we're, we're definitely hoping to invite members of these communities to come on and speak about a lived experience. But today we're really going to deep dive about how we can be allies and supporter of, of this important kind of, it's not just a philosophy, but what it has to happen for the future. I love that. Um, it is absolutely brilliant because I don't align to any of the diversity, equity, inclusion groups but I'm an ally to all. I like to say that I walk beside them, listen, learn and use what privilege I have to clear the path for them because they are our future. They are an important part of our workforce and they need to be recognised and we need to create a safe space for them. Yeah, beautiful way to start. All right, so your number one is diversity, equity and inclusion. You know, what is it and why Why is it still a thing? Like, why do we have to still be talking about it in the year 2023? That's amazing, isn't it? Um, so, diversity, equity, inclusion is all about uh, the people, uh, the groups, the underrepresented groups who need to have a, uh, a sound, a voice, um, the ability to share their talent. Uh, And when you look at the uh, community that we serve, it is a very diverse, broad-range group of people as well. They deserve to have a health organisation that represents them. Uh, 
Uh, so why do we have to do it now? Because we do. Uh, we need to be reminded. Uh, we need to be challenged. Uh, and we need to be sure that everyone has a place at the table. You know, it's funny. I, I did social work in the 1990s. And I remember thinking, wow, my children will never know that women didn't have an equal place at the table. My children will never know that, you know, our First Nations people suffered. And here we are all those years later. And, you know, so many things haven't changed. I mean, there have been changes, but nowhere near as much as what needs to happen. And you're totally right. And I think the big thing is, is now more than ever, we are starting to uncover, unearth, uh, what has happened in the past, it has been brought to the surface uh, so we can now have better conversations, we can um, deal with it a bit better, it's not hidden as much uh, and from there we can continue to move forward. And I think it's a strong signal that your role exists, um, not from a tokenism point of view but essentially from a recognition that there's systemic change is going to be where the real impact has to happen. We can We can educate influence, be better allies. But there's this problem that's always sat a little uncomfortably with me about that is there's this echo chamber that can form in that the people that are bought in and want to do better get marginally better and listen and do all those things. But without the structural and systemic changes, it's all for a fairly limited outcome. Yeah, it it is a good way of looking at it. And and, But what I would say to that is if as we move forward with diversity, equity, inclusion, and we have targets. Um, I hate targets because it puts a target on a person, but we need to have targets to show how we're tracking, mm. uh, show how what progress we do make. And from there, we again face it. So diversity, equity, in- inclusion for me is all around patient-centred care. Mm. Um, And while I'm not clinical, I'm not front-facing and uh, we work with workforce, if you were on the floor and you could lean out and reach out to a colleague who represented the same group as the patient that you were looking after, who could then provide you with a bit of help to uh, effectively work with that patient... That's patient-centred care. Mm. That's why diversity, equity, inclusion exists. That's why it needs to be a thing because everyone is a human, everyone's an individual. We can put tags on people, but at the end of the day, we do need to look after people. Yeah, beautiful. Right, so let's go to number two. So, Thomas, when we're talking about diversity, equity and inclusion – What are the populations or the communities or the people that we're actually referring to? Yeah, good question. And people invariably forget about one or two of the groups. Um, The first group, which has a a big impact within Metro North Health, is the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Uh, Under our health equity strategy, there is a big push to close the gap uh, and improve health outcomes for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander consumers. So that's the first group. The second group is persons with disability and that's going to be a really big thing. So I'm pleased to say that we're uh, publishing the disability service plan for Metro North Health later this year, uh, which will lead to a lot of great outcomes for persons with disability and a renewed focus. 
the next one, cultural and linguistically diverse. Uh, it can be known as English as a second language. Um, that forms almost 20% of our workforce. So yeah. it's a big group of people. Uh, but they do deserve a platform because the diversity of their cultures can enhance the richness of Metro North Health. Yeah. Um, LGBTIQ+. So that's a really interesting one because um, at the moment it's not recognised as a target but will be so next year. And I'm also pleased to say that we've stood up our first Metro North Health LGBTIQ plus working group. Uh, again, it's a marginalised group of people. Roughly 11% um, of our workforce could be. I say could because that's just the population guesstimation mm. and everything is a little bit fluffy there. But at the end of the day, it's another good group of people who've got a lot to add. The last one that people forget about is um, females in leadership roles, all five levels. And I'm so pleased to say our target is 50%. We're sitting at just over 68%. Wow. So would I say women rock? Probably. <laughs> I'm happy to go with that, to be honest, Thomas. So... And so today we're going. We're, we're kind of talking in parallel, aren't we? That we're we're talking really from a patient focus, but we're recognising that this is also an issue for our staff. It's an issue for our communities. Um, it's a it's an issue for the world. And you don't have to look too far in the news to see what can happen when we don't see each other as humans first, with a with a compassionate, open mind. Um, how dreadful things can go wrong. And, and that's exactly right. I think there should be more respect, more listening, more learning. Uh, take the time to understand a person. Don't just assume the assumptions of what gets us into trouble. And um, don't be afraid to stand up for your colleague. Um, if you want to be an ally for, for someone who is one of the diversity, equity, inclusion groups, stand up. Mm. Um, there is support mechanisms in place. But the best thing a person can do is say, I don't like the sound of that. I don't want to hear that. This is my colleague. This is my peer. This is my friend. Uh, and I'm going to look after them. And with, with the target populations or communities or groups that you've spoken about, I always think it's important for us to remember that they're not necessarily a homogenous group either, that really our responsibility is to say, you know, how would you like to be addressed or how do you identify or what would be useful or supportive from me not to assume like, well, I've met one person from this group, therefore that's how I treat, talk about, you know, we're all still individuals, aren't we? That's a great point, Liz, and we are. And you can make these guesstimations, these assumptions, these broad-based statements and get yourself into a whole lot of trouble. Um, and if you do find yourself in trouble, the best way forward is to acknowledge it, correct it, and then move on as quickly as you can. Mm. Or else you'll end up digging yourself in just a little bit further, which is not a pleasant experience. Yeah. Um, but you're right, because um, if you look at each of the groups are made up of individuals. Some people are on a different journey, others are on a different pathway and we need to respect that and we need to make sure that that person is treated with respect and dignity. Yeah. All right, so your number three is what does diversity, equity and inclusion mean for our patients? It's a really good point and I think I would look to the facility, say the Royal Brisbane, a quaternary facility that delivers all levels of service, 
when a helicopter comes in, we actually don't know where that helicopter's come from. And it could be coming from interstate, it could be coming from one of the islands, it could be coming from rural Queensland. We don't know. So the person in the helicopter, this may be the first time they've actually been in a facility which is more than one floor. Yeah. Um, and for them, it's to see a familiar face and it may not be someone they know but someone that they can align to, someone they recognise as one of them. Mm. Um, and that relaxes them just a little bit and the relaxing bit is where you want them to be because that's the start of patient-centred care. I don't know about you but when I got taken to an operating theatre the last time, I had to remove my glasses so I can't see without my glasses. The only thing that kept me relatively calm was the patient support officer who was wheeling me there just chatted about, I had no idea what, <laughs> yeah. but kept me going. Yeah. Uh, and so that sort of thing, it's the patient-centred care so that they are calmer, they will listen and will get a better outcome. I think uh, this is a reflection as a parent of a child with autism and, and ADHD. For us, the biggest thing has been someone that's come and seen said, oh, I see in Archie's chart that he's got autism. Um, what can actually make this as good as possible for him? What works for him rather than what he had to go through and what my wife had to go through once with him where she, uh, she was in ED over the span of two handovers and had handed over in front of our son that Archie's got autism, he won't let you do a lot of things to him. Yeah, that's, a, that's hard. you know. Like, and it's a very good point um, because... If they don't listen, if they don't have the resources, because like when you look at it, our clinical teams go through so much training, mm. massive amount, and it's more than ever to be able to do the high level of service that they do. Um, so to have some of this removed from them so that they don't have to think as much, they can just do their job with confidence is going to lead to better outcomes. Mm. Yeah, I guess the, the main reason I brought that up was no axe to grind but as but also just saying i think in some of these cases it's not necessarily seeing someone that you can see yourself in it's actually feeling seen by how you're addressed and especially when we're talking about disability there's a lot of hidden invisible disabilities as well as obvious physical disabilities that we kind of we tend to associate a lot with one and a lot with other and even with in the case of um cultural identity um there's a lot of hidden identity in terms of culture, gender, um, sexuality that we're still talking about has potential for adverse um, community level uh, outcomes from health. And those labels, putting the wrong label on a person can hurt immensely. Uh, so, you know, it is absolutely right. And when you look at disability, one in five in our community have the potential of having a disability that may have been undiagnosed at this stage. They may not realise it. Um, they may be having a bad day. Uh, so it's all these understandings that can lead to a better outcome. Yeah, we did just did a podcast that came out today about um, hearing loss and they were saying that about 67% of our all our patients at any given time have a, a level of hearing loss and how we need to be adapting what we're doing. And, you know... In the course of my career, I've met several um, Indigenous people from far, you know, far remote areas as well as people from Papua New Guinea who had, this is the first time being brought into hospital, they've been somewhere with electricity. Yes. It was the first time they've ever been on a plane. 
the first time they've ever encountered traffic lights. You know, so things that we just take for granted about how do you get money out, where do you go for food, tasting food that's completely different to where you live. You know, we cannot make any assumptions. You know, often when we're seeing people um, from, you know, culturally diverse backgrounds, some of these people are from war-torn areas with, you know, just unbelievable amounts of trauma, destruction, grief and loss. And then they're trying to negotiate our healthcare system. You know, we just need to constantly keep in mind that we've got to be aware that the person in front of us has a story um, that may be very different from our own. And if we can approach that with curiosity and compassion, that our patients are likely to have a much better outcome. Oh, 100%. And uh, to that point, you have uh, people, especially the older generation from a, a culturally and linguistically diverse background who will wake up from a procedure and forget they can speak English. Yeah. Um, you will have, um, we've seen it before time and time again where uh, people from remote uh, countries will actually leave the facility, discharge themselves before they should because they are out of their comfort zone big time mm. and then invariably they come back with complications. Yeah. Uh, so all of these matter a big time. Hmm. Okay, so number four, what does diversity, equity and inclusion mean for our colleagues? So everyone knows that we're suffering a workforce crisis and it's the same anywhere in the world. Everyone is chasing people to work in the facilities. Uh, it is not giving up. And it's putting an undue load on our, on our workforce because um, they don't have the support mechanisms in place you know, to be able to take extra days off and, and, and that sort of thing. So diversity and inclusion in our workforce is the acceptance culturally, safely, in a workplace of our diverse underrepresented groups who can do the job as well as, if not better than, the existing workforce, but the acceptance of them as part of the workforce. Yeah. And I look, I always say to people, you know, however people identify, whatever, wherever they come from, you know, if you've got someone new who's come to work, welcome them. Make sure they're orientated to the ward. Get to know something about them. You know, around Christmas time, check could there be people on your ward who don't have anywhere to go Christmas Day because they're cut off from their families or they're from somewhere that's war-torn and unable to get back. Or, you know, while everyone's hanging Christmas decorations, ask people, you know, like, do you celebrate Christmas? If not, what's your big festive part of the season? Um, you know, is it okay, you know, like what's it like if we're all celebrating Christmas and that's not something that's part of your faith base or your cultural background? You know, could we also celebrate what you celebrate? You know, it's just, it's about constantly having a curiosity and just being willing to learn, accept, embrace difference, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And the respect, the respect is so very important. Uh, I am pleased to say we're just about to uh, publish um, the diversity, equity, inclusion calendar of key events oh. um, for Metro North Health, uh, so that there's a ready reference guide that teams can actually refer to, create op opportunities to celebrate their diverse workforce, make sure that people feel embraced and welcomed 
and a part of the team because there is nothing worse. There's nothing worse than being ostracised and no one actually wants that. Uh, it happens but um, if we can – these little baby steps can actually bring people together uh, and if everyone remembers that we're all still humans – um, just with a different story, and that story, knowing that story, can be so much richer as a result. Hmm. I think another thing that jumps to mind for me as as colleagues is actually knowing that that excellent colleague of ours, who is culturally and linguistically diverse, is going to have the opportunity to rise within our team as well to um, promotions because of. Um, like improvements around the the standards and requirements for recruitment and selection processes. A lot of our recruitment and selection processes inherently and intrinsically favour people with great written English and verbal agility in English in interviews. They don't necessarily favour someone that everyone on the floor works with that would say they are the best nurse that they work with in the unit and would be amazing to have a cl- as a clinical nurse. Um, but then they they inherently biased against in an interview process not i think the difference is really important in like talking about discrimination versus structural bias but there's a thin line isn't there yeah and i i would put it down to an unconscious bias uh where it is a policy um and not rather a personality uh and i think that the system is changing and and, you know, let's be honest, you look on Smart Jobs, it's actually a really hard website to actually navigate and try and find your career of the future. Uh, so you can just imagine someone where English is a second language and they are so passionate about getting a job that it puts extra stress on them. It becomes a really hard thing. Mm. So part of what um, people in culture are doing uh, is rewriting uh, some of the wording for the job job roles, uh, assisting some of the directorates and facilities around could you consider this type of language instead of this type of language. Uh, I know we've done recently for community and oral health an entry-level admin role, um, so it became more disability-friendly uh, because we want to employ these people because they have so much to give and they need to be part of our team um, because we need to represent um, our, you know, the consumers in our community that we serve. Mm. Beautiful. Your number five is awareness is not enough. We have to be active allies. What, what, can you explain what that means? How many times in your past – most likely when you're a teenager or even earlier, if you can remember back that far, um, did you turn a blind eye to something that was happening that you, you knew wasn't right, but you turned a blind eye to it and maybe walked away? Being an active ally is you don't turn away. You make it known. And I guess my first opportunity around this in my history was when I first got glasses in grade two. Uh, and you, know, you get the names, Four Eyes and all sorts of things. And there was this lad by the name of Charlie and he was Papua New Guinean and he basically threatened to punch anyone who called me names. That's an active ally. Maybe not the violent side mm-hmm. of things, but, but definitely someone who stood up for you, made sure that you felt a part of the group. Mm-hmm. So an active ally is... To do the right thing first and foremost, to respect the people, 
but call it out if it needs to be called out. Report it if it needs to be reported. Uh, we've got processes in place where you can actually report things anonymously uh, with care uh, and you will be respected for that. But there's no place in Metro North Health for racism, um, bullying, you know, just, making, just making it a more pleasant place. I think it's really important to make that distinction, isn't it, is moving from, from just tolerance being enough to allyship essentially being a basic competency. Absolutely. And everyone has a skill. Everyone has a superpower. What can your superpower be used for to help others? Because everyone deep down, when they're having a good day, want to help people. You don't work for Queensland Health if you don't want to help someone, for goodness sake. If you don't want to help someone, don't work for us yeah. uh, from that point of view because it is all around patient-centred care regardless. Every role is aimed towards that. So from my point of view is an active ally has the ability to bring their privilege, their superpower to the fore for the good of someone else. Um, we've just recently done a junior doctor wellbeing kind of research project here and, you know, really happy to hear our junior doctor saying, you know, our culturally diverse junior doctor saying, look, well, we've experienced no racial um, discrimination or prejudice amongst our colleagues, but we get it constantly from our patients. And I think, you know, if we see anyone treating our colleagues or another patient wrongly, we have to intervene immediately. But I also think in terms of that allyship, if you've been caring for someone, you're the bedside nurse and you've been caring for someone all day and you think this person really has the potential to say things that are discriminatory, racial, like inappropriate, whatever, then if you know that you have a colleague who you're handing over to who's from a diverse background to all day going, you're going to be lucky, you've got Susan on tonight or you've got whoever, you know, like um, they're a really wonderful nurse, they're going to be fantastic, you know, to help set that situation up so that the transition is easier um, and that you have been promoting someone for their wonderful skills so that hopefully that patient then sees that rather than sees difference. Oh, 100%. And the other side of it is if if you know you have a difficult patient, um, it's giving the heads up in the handover yeah. um, of things which may trigger that patient mm. uh, so that your colleague who's coming on to a long shift, could be in the middle of the night, um, knows what not to do or mm. what to be careful about so that the patient-centred care is there front and foremost all the time mm. Uh, and delivered better than it could be otherwise without that active allyship. I think the other thing that can come with um, being a good ally is actually that extra depth of understanding about what we're talking about so that we can actually educate people as well. And like, there's a lot of misconceptions around some of the terms. Are you happy to kind of give us a little navigation through a few terms, anything that pops to mind, maybe like equality, intersectionality? There's a lot of terms that are associated with uh, diverse pop- uh, diverse populations. Yeah, absolutely. And it's where people get caught um, and it's where inaction can actually happen when a person doesn't want to say the wrong thing, doesn't want to offend, so therefore will stop. And action or positive action doesn't happen as a result. So they're basically forced into inaction because of their lack of understanding. And it's not because they're not a good person. Uh, I'm... 
I've come across people who've used the most inappropriate words only because of their lack of education in this area, but their heart was gold. Mm. Uh, So they meant the right thing, they just couldn't articulate and so they offended absolutely everyone, but they were truly a good human. One one phrase that jumps to mind that you just hear so often is, yeah, but I, I treat everyone the same. And that's the wrong thing to do, isn't it? (laughs) Well-intentioned, but again, this is a perfect example of the difference, I think. Yeah, because everyone is an individual. Um, So let's have a look at equity versus equality. And this one tends to get people caught all the time. Uh, So equality means treating everyone the same. You know, a good estimation of this is under the law – you have to do the same thing. So everyone is treated uh, from this point of view, equal equality. Equity means that in order for people to be treated fairly and thus the same, people may require different levels and types of support. What what then is diversity? Like how do we know if we've achieved it? Like what is diversity? Wow, diversity – Will we ever achieve it? I certainly hope we will. So diversity is all around the respect, the understanding of how rich the human culture is. Nothing is the same. Even when you look at Caucasian people, white people, there are vast ranges of different types of people um, who have different backgrounds, have different heritage. When you look at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, there are hundreds of countries within the land we call Australia and every one of them are slightly different. When you look at uh, Southeast Asia, you have so many diverse cultures and yet they're all called grouped as Southeast Asian. Mm. So diversity is the understanding, respect, the knowledge of that we are a very broad range, different group of humans, but we are human. I think the curiosity to explore, I think you said in the intro, essentially recognise there's wealth of talent and skill that if we're not coming at actually seeing that skill and talent can look different to different people and different groups, that we'll miss that completely. And our workforce will suffer as a result. Um, There are so many people who deserve the opportunity to do really good things. What then is inclusion? Inclusion. Okay, so it's equal access. Um, It's equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalised. So the reason we have diversity, equity and inclusion and why we highlight it is so that everyone gets the opportunity. Everyone deserves the opportunity and, but we may need to be trained on it. We may need to be educated on it. We may need to highlight different things so that everyone can be inclusive. Intersectionality, if I can say it right, uh, is a really interesting word. And I don't try and use it very often because I stumble over the word. Uh, a lot of people do tend to use it, Jesse, you are right. Um, so intersectionality, a very good example of this is our Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people Someone within who identifies as Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander may have a disability. So therefore, that's intersectionality. They may be LGBTIQ+. They may have a partner who is culturally and linguistically diverse or one of their parents may have been culturally and linguistically diverse. They're one of the few groups of people who can be everything. 
Okay, so Thomas, I'm going to have a go at taking all this beautiful, rich information you've given us and summarise it. So your number one was diversity, equity and inclusion. What is it and why is it still a thing? And I think we're just going to quickly summarise that by saying it's when people, people feel welcomed, they feel safe and they feel respected for who they are and how they identify. And number two are who are the populations or the communities we're actually talking about? So number one is our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, peoples. And if we are listening outside of Australia, then that's people who are Indigenous or First Nations wherever you are in the world. Number two is persons with disability and that can be physical, mental health or people with neurodiversity. Number three is people who are culturally and linguistically diverse. Number four is females in leadership and that's all five levels of leadership. And number five is our LGBTIQ plus um, communities. Your third point was what does diversity, equity and inclusion mean for our patients? And I think the first thing is, is that that means that everybody who walks through our healthcare service has equity and opportunity to appointments, resources, uh, information, care, whatever that looks like. But tangibly, you know, that can be people being curious, compassionate, asking people, you know, is there anything that you need? Is there a dietary requirement? Um, What would be helpful? And a big part of that is wherever possible, we are providing a friendly face of someone, even though they may not know that person, who looks similar, who speaks similar, who understands where that person is coming from. So an example of that would be if you had a person who's an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, identified as that, then we get the, you know, health liaison officers to come and see them as quickly as we can because we know that that is helpful and will assist that person to remain in our system. Number four is what does diversity, equity and inclusion mean for our colleagues? And I think, you know, it's all of us having a mindset that people can look, sound different to us. They may think differently. They may have come from different places. They may have different challenges. But that people have talents and skills, such an important um, place within our healthcare service, within our workforce. And it's about remembering to be to include people who might have different festivities, celebrations, who might have different needs to us. Are we still asking these people to come to our house for dinner, include them in all social and professional development and make sure that these people also have the exact same opportunities that we have? And our number five is awareness is not enough. We have to be active allies and it's not enough to be woke and to speak about this. you actually have to be very active. So if you see something that you know is wrong, if you hear someone say something or make an assumption or use a language that's inappropriate, you have to be involved. You have to intervene. And that doesn't mean you have to shame or have a fight, but just to say, look, I'd just like to um, say that I feel really uncomfortable or, you know, I know you've got a good intention, but that's not not a helpful way to speak. Um, It's about you know, practicing what you preach. It's making sure that all of us are attracted to people, for people, that we keep our humanity um, and wherever possible we do that in a very active um, and visible way. How'd I go? 
Fantastic. I couldn't have put it better myself. (laughs) Thank you. Thomas, we've really loved having you on our podcast today and thank you for coming with such a beautiful humility and compassion. You can really feel it across, across the table, so I hope our listeners feel that as well. So thank you. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at Liz Crow 2 and for me it's inject underscore orange we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts ideas or feedback thanks for listening to five things 